The kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast on the OG Podcast Network. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. Welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joined here, like always, with my man Carlo, Hello. the producer. Today, we're pleased to have with us an author, speaker, television host, a guy named Louis Ferranti. Lou, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Bo. Good to talk with you. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up in, uh, in Queens? I grew up in Flushing. I was born and raised right by, uh, by Main Street and Casino Boulevard, right between there. And uh, as I got older, I got around. But that's, that's where I was born and raised. And that's, uh, that's actually uh, the, the place where the, uh, the feds took me away in 1994, the, the very porch where I grew up. Now, where, how old are you, Louie? Uh, I just turned 50. So I'm, I'm the big 5-0 now. Yeah, so so when did you really get involved with organized crime from, uh, you know, where did it all happen? How did it all happen about? Yeah, yeah so it was uh, when, I, when I was a kid, still in high school, uh, we were stealing cars, me and my friends from the neighborhood. And we started eventually just, it, originally it was just joy rides. We'd take a car for a spin, have a good time, do some 360s, and, and dump it. And at some point... We started to steal the radio and sell the radio, steal the rims, and then the, the body shops, and I don't want to name them, a couple of them might still be around, but the auto body collision shops in sort of like the, the College Point Boulevard over there in that area, Flushing College Point, they, they were all game to take parts. And a friend of mine had an uncle, we started taking him, we started bringing him parts, he owned a shop, then we expanded to another guy and another guy. And eventually we, we, had a, we were running a full-scale chop shop, and we were delivering parts around the clock. Um, well, I, I did it actually while I was still in high school. So at that point, I would do it after, after school uh, until nighttime, and then after high school, did it around the clock. Uh, and at some point, I was in an auto body collision shop, and a guy told me, I know exactly who he was. I remember who he was. I don't want to say his name, but he said to me, um, we were talking by one of the tool chests, and they had these big, big, uh, these giant tool containers. I don't know if you've ever been in a shop where you, they, they oh, feel yeah. like Snap-on or Matco. And, uh, yeah, I said to him, I made a comment about it, and he goes, these things are expensive. They go for, like, five grand, one of these boxes. I said, you got to be kidding I think me. They're, yeah, red, he goes, they're red in color, I think, right? Some of them, yeah. Some yeah. of them are, yep. A lot of them, yep. And uh, usually come in, I think, gray or, uh, red or gunmetal gray like that. Uh, but I said, look, you know, he said the truck comes once a week and and sells us, you know, tools. He says, and I said, what's in the truck? He says, probably about 100000 worth of, worth of stuff. So I said, do you want one? And this was a guy I was selling car parts to at the time. And he said, sure. I got a couple of guys, I, I you know, that I knew and worked with. And we, we stuck up a truck. And it's funny because the first truck, this is an interesting story. The first truck that I hijacked, the guy, we all came from good families. I know we, we weren't doing good things. We were bad guys. I'm not going to, you know, I can't make no, no bones about that. But, but we all came from families that were maybe, maybe slightly to, to moderately to, to highly dysfunctional, 
depending on which, which family you're talking about. But we all came from good families where we ate dinner, we loved our mothers, you know, our fathers tried. And we hijacked the truck, we, we tied the guy up, and then as soon as we were on the road, I remember I said to him, hey, listen, l- l- let me loosen these things for you, you know, and I promise you, you'll be home with your family today, you know, 5 o'clock. We're not looking for you, we just want the truck, and I promise you we won't hurt you. And after talking to the guy a little while, because we ended up taking the truck to Jersey, after talking to guys, and that's a whole long story how the truck ended up in Jersey, but not to get into right now. But um, after talking to the guy for a little while, I said to him, uh, you know, he said to us, rather, you guys are nice guys. He says, you ever think this stuff will catch up with you? And it went right over my head. Well, I, I just like, you know, we just started. How could it catch up with me? You know, did you just, guys, and I did, thought did, about did that. Did you guys have it, guns at least? Yeah, we had guns. Sure, we 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 had guns. Yeah, I mean, and you know, we look, we we scared the guy, and uh, you know, we had like everything we did was with guns. And I thank God, looking back now, that nobody ever got, you know, no nobody innocent ever got hurt. I know we may have traumatized people, and I feel bad for that. I regret that, but I mean, no, the guns never went off. No innocent people ever got hurt. Thank God. Because we weren't trained to use firearms, Bo. You know, in your line of work, you go through training, and then throughout your entire career, they'll make you retrain constantly, I assume, you know, that you go to the firing ranges regularly to brush up. We shot, well, we shot, you know, whatever we picked up on the street, we shot it into phone books in the basement and then used them and thought we were, we, we were marksmen. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah, we had guns, and, uh, and, and we, the guy said that, and years later, I was in Lewisburg Penitentiary, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, but I was in Lewisburg Penitentiary, and they were murdering each other over there. It was the roughest pen at the time, and his words came back to me. And it was my first hijacking where the guy said, don't you think this will come, you know, catch up with you? And eventually, years later, it did, and there I was sitting in the can facing well, the rest now, wait, of my now, life wait in a prison. Second. So you're yeah. talking yeah. about the hijacking of the tool truck. This is what you went the to jail for. The hijacking of the tool truck, yeah. Right, this yeah, is what you went to jail hijack. for. Uh, I know I went to jail for uh, one of those trucks, not necessarily that one, but a million other ones, too, by then. So years later, by the time the feds caught up with me, I mean, I, I, I couldn't count how many, how many heists and hijackings I had done. And they had an indictment. They called it a Hobbs Act. It's a, it's a racketeering indictment. And it was basically, uh, we had an armored car on there. We had a bank job. We had hijacked trucks. We had all, all different things on there by then. You, hi- yeah, you actually hijacked an armored car? We were accused of doing armored cars, yes. Yeah, we, we were investigated uh, for armored car heists. We were accused of uh, knocking off armored cars and a depot. And, uh, and I, we copped to one armored car. Um, well, in, did, in I California. mean, I mean had, that, that's serious stuff. I mean, did you actually did do an armored car? Uh, <laughs> well, it's over now. What do you think? No. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. What I think, yeah, it's over. Our share of th- Statue of yeah, limitations yeah, no, is over. over. We got around. Yeah, we got around. We knocked off armored cars, Bo. And we were caught, we were caught for one where uh, the one we were caught for actually didn't go through. We flew to California. And it's interesting how this unwound. We flew out to San Francisco. We had a tip on an army car out now out in San Francisco. And the guy was originally a New Yorker. He was in the Navy, and he got out of the Navy, and he was, he was fell on hard times. He got a job with an army car company. And another friend of mine knew him. They were talking, and then we flew out there to knock off one of the trucks in his armored car company. So 
we so, pull so out he there. Was, back then. So he was inside. It was an inside job. So there was not going to be well, a, we any thought, shooting, right? Well, well, we thought it was an inside job. We thought he was going to he was going to be the give up guy on his truck. So there was three guys in his truck, and he was going to be the give up guy. So we figured we had to take two. And uh, and when we flew down there, we ended up getting down there. We back in the day. I mean, this is like pre nine eleven where you just flew down on the phony names. I mean, you just booked a flight under any name before 9-11. We did that all the time. I went down there under another name. So did my, my uh, co-defendants at the time. They became co-defendants later. And um, we shipped the guns down. I think we used like UPS or FedEx or something to ship the guns down there and the tape and the duct tape and the two-way radios and the, and the scanner. And we sent all that stuff down and we then flew down, and we were ready to to, to hit the, the, the army car. And then he backed out. He didn't. He got he got cold feet. He didn't want to be part of it. So then we we had like a little, you know, I can't say like a like a brainy conference because we were all imbeciles. And you know, we sat down though and said, "What do we do now? We're here. We may as well hit one. So maybe this this clown could give us one." That was our our sort of attitude at the time. And then we started to plan hitting another one in his company. But then we figured we had to take three guys because he wasn't, we didn't have the inside guy anymore. And we were returning to our uh, hotel room one day and the feds swarmed the place. They were, they, you know, they came out of the woodwork and they locked us up. They took us to San Francisco precinct, the nearest precinct in San Francisco. And the FBI was in charge of it. And they questioned each of us and, uh, you know, we all said we're down here on vacation and, you know, that we all lied and, you know, we just played dumb and which wasn't hard at the time because we were. And in the end, what happened was we, when we knew that there was a, when we knew that we didn't have him on the inside and we had to take three guys from a truck, we flew down another guy so that we would have one more guy with us. And apparently my, my, uh, the guy in my crew who flew down had a roommate who he mentioned it to. And that roommate was a confidential informant with the FBI. So he phoned the FBI in California and said, look, you know, my roommate, he's going down there right now to meet Lou Ferrante and his crew, and they're knocking off an army car. So you're looking back right now, Bo, thank God that it was stopped. Because, you know, like I said, we were cowboys. I look back at all the things that could have happened that, you know, I went through it in, in prison. I went through great remorse in prison when I used to lay down and stare at the ceiling in my prison cell and wish the whole ceiling would fall on top of my head because I felt so horrible for the things that I had done. And I thank God all the time over and over that nobody got killed or hurt. But, we, you know, we were cowboys. We were, we were ready to stick up an army car in a town we didn't even belong in. And, you know, where are you going? Like, if you stick up an army car in New York and something goes wrong, there are places to go. You know people. Hey, hey, Bo, do me a favor. Hide me out. You know, not you necessarily. You were on, you know, on the other side of the law. But let's say you were, on, you, know, you were from the street and you were hanging out with us. Bo, hide us out. Or Bo, you know, and you'd say, okay, go up to my house over there in, uh, in uh, Orange County and sit tight until I call you back. You got, you, you got, you got options. We had no options in San Francisco. It was just us. And then you got to figure out how to get the hell out of there as a wanted fugitive. So, you know, we weren't really, like I said, we weren't, there were no Einsteins, any of us. And, and but we, you know, we, 
Then again, back in back in New York, we pulled them off left and right. These these robberies and heists and hijacking. So once you were you know got into hijacking the trucks and you had steady stream of fences and customers and you got <laughs> tips, uh, did you start to get the attention of uh, you know the Gambino family through that? I did. Yeah. So you yeah. got I mean, a reputation as an earner. I was already exactly. Yeah. Once once you're known as an earner, I mean that's that's what they want. You know, they want they want two things, and it's sad that they want a lot of killers, too. But you, you could be an earner or you could be a killer. And, so, you know, now and then you could be an earner and a killer. Some of them are. But I was an earner. I wasn't a killer. I wasn't looking to kill people. You know, that wasn't like what I was about. I, you know, I just, you know, I, look, I could defend myself if somebody was after me. You know, I could do anything. You know, so if, if, if you called me up, Carlo, and said, or Bo said, look, you know, somebody touched my daughter or my sister, you know, I, I, I left the house with a, with a 45 automatic in my underwear. You know, I mean, I just like I was I flew out the door if you needed me. But I wasn't the kind of guy who wanted to kill people. So the mob looks for those types, too. But they also look for earners. And I was an earner. I was making good money. So, on so Lou, when you first started, who did you I mean, which crew did you hook up with? Were you with the Gambinos? I, I hooked up with the Gambinos. Yeah, I hooked up with the Gambinos. I, I, were you I dealing directly? Who were you dealing directly with with the Gambinos? Yeah, I'll jump ahead and skip the younger guys. So the younger guys that I was around. No, I mean, were you dealing with John? Them, were you dealing with uh, John Gotti with yeah, that? So, well, well, Peter Gotti, Peter Gotti was my close friend, and and uh, Pete Gotti was at the time. I practically was. I was in and out of Pete's house for seven years, uh, probably uh, from like eighty, maybe maybe five or six years, from like eighty eight, eighty nine to like ninety four. When I went to jail, I was in and out of Peter Gotti's house. Now, Pete was John's brother, oldest brother, who was a capo at the time. And then he eventually became the official boss. I don't know what he is right now from prison. Uh, but I was in his house. I was close friends with his son, Peter. Uh, you know, I also obviously knew John's son, John, and, and John's son, Peter. But I wasn't around them as much. Uh, I was close with Richie Gotti. Richie Gotti was a sweetheart of a guy. Joey Gotti, who's deceased right now, um, uh, rest his soul. Joey Gotti was a good guy. Uh, I knew Vinny Gotti. Vinny Gotti was a good guy. Um, I knew the Ruggieros. Johnny Boy Ruggieros died, uh, dead now. Uh, he was a good guy. So when you did your hijackings, you would go and give money to Peter Gotti. That was your guy? Well, I don't want to get involved in that right now, Bo. I kind of like stayed away from that. You know, and anytime I talk or write in my books, um, yeah, you know, I just rather say they were good guys. Whoever's alive today, I stay away from any of the ins and outs because I never, I never ratted. Yeah, so I, you know, I the, the statue, the yeah. statue of limitations. Unless you wax, yeah, unless you, they, they, unless, they, unless you wax somebody. If you killed somebody, don't don't tell me no. about it. But if other than no, that, no, no, any no, of no. these any of these crimes, statue of limitations are all over with. Yeah, no, 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 I know. But typically what happens is I would, you know, I would do a heist and, you know, eventually kick a piece upstairs. You know, I just don't talk about who exactly I handed it to, um, you know, and when and stuff like that. And, you know, I just so, so you in, my, wrote, in my first book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's go over the books. So you wrote three books. The yeah. first book was Unlocked, mm-hmm. The Life and Crimes of a Mafia Inside. Now, in this book, do you talk about this? Do you uh, talk about yeah, handing money yeah, off to these guys? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So what I did was I, I disguised a lot of the names in the first book, the memoir, and uh, I wrote it. So I became, I wrote, 
I read thousands of books while I was away, and I wrote a, I wrote a novel. And no one wanted to publish the novel when I came home. It was about the, the antebellum South, the slave South. I thought I was going to become a writer. And when I came home, nobody wanted to publish that. All the editors and, and publishers said, give me your story. So eventually I, I said, look, I didn't rap. I did, you know, I did my time. I faced life in prison. I, did, I got 13 years. I fought my cases. I eventually got out in eight and a half because I reversed one of my federal cases myself after hiring, hiring and firing seven attorneys. So at some point I said, look, you know what? I got home and I don't want to talk about that stuff. I don't want to give names. I didn't do it in, you know, in court. I won't do it now. So they allowed me. They said, look, we can't give you as much money, you know, but we'll make you a deal. You can change the names then. If we can't get the real names, we'll still make you a deal. So they gave me a lot less money, but they, you know, I was allowed to change the names. And I did. I called, you know, uh, Peter Paul, Paul Peter, and, and vice versa, you know, around, around, the, around the clock with that. And then what happened was, this is interesting, Bo, I got an email. Nobody was offended because everybody knew. Obviously, anybody who did crimes with me knows exactly who I'm talking about and what we did. And I got an email, I remember, from a, a Gambino capo. Uh, and he said, I, I hated the name you gave me. And I, I said, what do you want to be called next time? And that was it. I didn't talk to him any further. But, you know, it, was, it showed that they didn't mind as long as I changed the names. You know, he was sort of letting me know he read the book, but he also knew that's him. You know, I mean, it, it, they were okay with it. So that's what I did. I changed a lot of identifying facts. Uh, I stuck also, too, on my memoir. I stuck to all the crimes that I was either charged with or investigated on. Figuring don't go down any alleyways that, you know, sort of like, you know, could raise anybody's eyebrows and say, why is he talking about that? So I kind of stuck to everything. And also, too, if anybody ever questioned me and says, gee, is this book true? Yeah, it's true. Go get my FBI file. And you could you could all the crimes that I talk about in my book, you could match up with everything that I was either charged with or investigated on. So I did that also, too, for that reason. But, uh, but, yeah, that's how I got around sort of the streets, and I'm able to still bump into guys, though. Like, if I go, you know, I'll go, I'll, I'll go into Manhattan, and, you know, a guy will come up to me from behind, or I'll bump into somebody on the street. They're happy to see me. They give me a big hug and a kiss, and then I keep it moving. You know, but nobody has any grudges or hard feelings toward me because I sort of, like, you know, I played that game right, I think. You know, I kept my yeah. mouth shut, and, and, and yeah, I did my time. Yeah, and yeah. then the interesting one is the second book you came out, Mob Rules, What the yeah. Mafia Can Teach Legitimate mm -hmm. Businessmen. That's, 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 mm -hmm. that's a, stretch in a, a stretch and a half. What do you say in yeah. this book about teaching businessmen? Yeah, so, so that book, actually that book, I use real names, and I'll tell you why. I use real names in that book because I'm complimenting people. So I only talk about, you know, sort of stories that have been already, you know, sort of like out there. I'm not uncovering any new truths. Um, but I, I, give the, I give the real, like, for, for example, Joe Watts was my dear friend. Joe Watts was a backup shooter on the, uh, the Castellano hit that, that uh, in 85 when they shot Castellano outside Spark Steakhouse. Everybody knows he was a backup shooter. Uh, everybody knows who Joe Watts is. He was the right-hand man of John Gotti. Uh, so what I do is I complimented him. I said he was the most generous man in the mob, which he was. Joe give you the shirt off his back. Uh, I bumped into Joe in prison. He said to me, how are you doing with your lawyers? I said, I'm going through lawyers left and right. He sent the lawyer up to see me. When I asked the lawyer what I owe him, he says, Joe took care of it already. Joe was, a, was an incredible guy when it came to, like, generosity 
And that sort of helped him. So that anyway, it helped him his lifespan, I should say, because uh, nobody, no, everybody loved Joe. But anyway, the book was about what I did was I pitched it to Penguin and it was going to be, you know, I, I sort of like when I first pitched it, I wasn't sure how good it was going to do. It was like what the mafia could teach a legitimate businessman in a sense, like if you strip away all the violence and you take away the guns and the murders and the blood and guts, and you just take the mafia's savviness, their ability to make money, their sort of like uh, their instincts, uh, they're really, really good business people. You know, I, I was friends with Sal Avellino. If Sal Avellino, uh, Sal Avellino was the biggest garbage guy on Long Island, if he never committed a crime, he could have easily ran a Fortune 50 company. And his brother, it, it, and know, his brother, and his brother Carmine, until they whacked the yeah, two Carmine, guys. Yeah, Carmine. I was away with Carmine. Uh, you know, Carmine, too, was a businessman. Carmine owned, uh, 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 I think he owned the lunch trucks. These guys were extremely intelligent. And, you know, had they never gotten involved in the life, they would have still been tremendously successful businessmen. So I wanted to write a book about if you were to strip, if you were to strip away all of that, all of that violence and all of that unethical behavior, and just use the business examples that these guys sort of, you know, their, their everyday life, they, they illustrate, you could make a good book about it. So I did. I wrote up all these, uh, all these little instances where guys in the mob showed their really, really smart business skills. And I, what I did was I, I wrote it in a way that, like, the ancient book Plutarch, uh, the ancient writer Plutarch wrote Plutarch's Lives. And he would take the vices and virtues of a Greek or a Roman, and he would put them against each other, and he would tell you how one guy did it right, how one guy did it wrong. I did that with mafia bosses to show you, well, this mafia boss went about this in this way, and he died natural in his bed of natural causes, whereas this guy did it this way, and he was gone down on the street and was left there with 35 bullets inside of him. So it's sort of like a real-life lesson, though, of how business is done. And then I bring in little mob stuff, and obviously, you know, they end up dead in the end, some of them. So there is blood and guts in there, but that's not the lessons aren't have nothing to do with blood and guts. And then what I did above no, I, and beyond I, I, that, I get, I get where yeah. you're coming from. You know, Sal and Carmine yeah. were, were my clients. I handled that the oh, double okay. murder case. Yeah. So I know them very well. I know all these okay, people you that, that you're talking yeah. about firsthand. I did grow mm -hmm. up with Senior Gotti. I did yep. grow up with all of them mm -hmm. in Ozone Park. So I'm very, very familiar with all the uh, all the people that you've been mentioning. And I go. Oh, back. I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that. I didn't know if it was safe to say it, but I it's knew very you were well safe. Back then. It's very safe yeah. to say it because <laughs> I retired in 1985. My first case that I did was the commission case with Joey uh, Ralph. Scopo and uh, Joey I knew, Scopo. I knew, I knew, I knew Joey. Joey Scopo was a very dear friend. Yeah. His brother Ralphie Jr. They're all dead now, yeah. and they machine gun yeah. day during the uh, during the uh, Colombo War there. So I'm, I'm very, very familiar with all these people that you're mentioning. You're, you're right in some sense, in the sense that even John Gotti Sr. You know, could have been uh -huh. probably a dynamic businessman, but when you go and you and you do the way they do it, there's only one way to go. Yeah, you're going to be successful, but then you're going to be have meet your demise at the end, which occurred. Yeah, I mean, you got to pay live, the piper. 
you live by a gun, you, you start doing, you're committing felonies and you're doing this, you're going to go down that way. And a lot of guys like Louis Dome, good friend of mine, who ended up uh, dying of cancer, a lot of guys, and you even got this one guy's 100 years old is still in the joint. What's his name? He, he got out. Uh, Did they let him out? Oh, Francis. Uh, yeah. No. Francis. Yeah, Sonny yeah, Sonny. Uh, Sonny and uh, yeah. and I knew his son Michael. All of a sudden, he became a born again, and he was the, uh-huh. he, he was telling people what to do. But you know, it's an interesting life. I grew up with it, and it was going one way, it was going the other way. And uh, when we grew up in the 1960s in Ozone Park, a lot of people don't know the Italian kids there were shooting heroin like like the blacks and Hispanic are doing now. They were they were heroin yeah. addicts. I know offhand ten Italian guys, sons of bosses from the organized crime, Italian families. I used to hold Ralph Scopo's arm when I was thirteen years old when he would shoot heroin. And a lot of people yeah. don't realize that wow. it was prevalent and the father took a liking to me. And then when I became a cop he, Ralphie Senior says, uh, Bo, you, you know, you're a cop. You can't come to the club anymore. I said, what, what, Ralph, you're like a second father. And uh, you yeah. know what? I, I, I knew. I'm not naive about it. But uh, like I said, a lot of them like me. A lot of them like me. Every, every crime mm-hmm. family boss liked me because I never got involved with them. And all I did was work in all the worst areas in New York. They wanted me to work in organized mm-hmm. crime. I said, I won't do that because I know every one of them. And I grew up with every one of them. I don't condone what they do, but I'm certainly not going to use being a detective and go after them like some of my friends right. did. And I and that I yeah. think gained a lot of respect towards me. But in 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 what you're saying is it's true. A lot of guys would have made great businessmen, but once you expose yourself to the crime element. It all goes bye-bye. So what you're saying mm-hmm. is true. Uh, the personalities mm-hmm. of a lot of them could have been very successful businessmen and all that. And the funny one now is this third book, uh, The Three-Pound Crystal Ball. What's that about? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. So I'm, I'm in jail, and at some point or another, I fought all my cases. I faced life, as, as I said, and I was willing. I said, look, I told the guys in there, I said, if I got to leave here in a pine box, I will. Uh, you know, but if I could ever get out of here, I'd like to go my own way. At that time, I was reading constantly. I was reading 18 hours a day. I found books when I was in jail. I never read a book before in my life. And uh, I'm in there and I'm, I'm reading. I read religion. I read psychology, philosophy. And, you know, you're talking 18 hours a day for years. I, it's a lot of reading. I used to knock out a book a day sometimes, a 300-page book. I'd start it in the morning, wow. finish it at night. Yeah, and uh, I'm still an avid reader. I'm still constantly reading. I'm in bed 8 o'clock at night with a book, still to this day. Uh, but um, but I, at the time, I was reading, I was reading physics, science, and uh, yeah, I, I, psychology, and I came, across, I came across something that sparked my interest with regard to the brain. And I started to think about this when I was young. When I was young, I used to have – I lived on a corner, and there was a lot of accidents on that corner. And I would always be sort of like immersed in a dream laying in my bed. And I would be immersed in a dream, and, and the dream would sort of like, let's say, for example, you and I are sitting at a NASCAR race, and, you know, we're, we're, we're cheering on the race as, it's, as the cars are going by. Then all of a sudden, the car spins out of control in the dream, and it, it flips around and hits a pole. Just at that moment that the car would hit the pole in my sleep, in my dream, I would hear an external sound 
of the crash. And I would wake up and I'd look out the window. And I remember being a little kid, Bo. I'm talking about like, you know, that, you know that, climbing that's out of bed. And you... That's funny what you're saying because I've had dreams. I live on the Upper East Side where I, I, I hear gunshots in my dream and I'm dreaming about it. And then all of a sudden I actually, there was gunshots. So I understand exactly what you're yeah. saying. And it's exactly. something, it's yeah. something that, you know, the brain is very, very funny and it will put you into that thing. And what reason did you have that dream about the NASCAR and what reason did that accident happen at the same time? That's, that's pretty, uh, you know, that's pretty yeah. remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I came, I came to the conclusion that, uh, well, we, we, the gunshot dreams is, is they're called corp, incorporation dreams. Where well, sometimes I dream I'm people. getting laid, and I wake up and I have a heart on too. You know, <laughs> so that's true, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's a fully incorporated dream. Well, that's a, that's that's part of your three pound crystal ball. I wake up with a, with exactly. a I wake up with looks like a baby's arm sticking out of my uh, blanket, and all of a sudden I'm dreaming <laughs> I'm getting it. And then all of a sudden I go close to my honey bunny and she slaps me and says, stop bothering me in the middle of the night. <laughs> so that's it. That's that's my dream that never comes true. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, but I get what you're saying with that. You know, as far as as far as what, what we what we've been talking about, you know. A lot of a lot of guys uh, that from the old times when I ended up getting tossed into East New York as a homicide detective, one of the cases I had to bring Jimmy Burke from your old uh, your old haunt there. Oh, wow. Alan yeah. Allenwood. But this is before this is 19, uh-huh. probably 1983 or 84. And uh, uh, what was that rat's name uh, in Goodfellas? Henry oh, Hill. Hill. Henry Hill became yeah. a rat. He was a low-level guy. He was a nobody. He was a punk. We should throw him out of the bar. And then all of a sudden he became a rat. And I inherited two homicides that they dumped the bodies in East New York. And what happens is they call cold cases. And they used to dump all the bodies in East New York there in Flatlands Avenue and all that. And uh, so I get two cases. Henry Hill becomes a rat. He gives up. Uh, Jimmy Burke. Jimmy, I go back as a kid. He used to own the bar on the Leffitt's Boulevard. We used to drink 10 cent Ten cent beers we used to drink. And uh, mm-hmm. so I had to go pick up Jimmy Burke in Allenwood with a partner. And we got back on a plane. We drank those little bottles. We landed in LaGuardia. We were all drunk. Jimmy was drunk. My partner was drunk. <laughs> I was drunk. No handcuffs on him. Because I knew Jimmy as a kid. And, I mean, he's doing, yeah. he's doing life on top of life on top of life. So I think, yeah. he, I think he whacked about 15 or 18 people with the Lufthansa highs. So they had him good. Yeah. But now these were two other murders. So my lieutenant's at the airport. He's a deedle. What the hell are you doing? You're drunk. Your partner's drunk. Your prisoner's drunk. I said, this is Jimmy Burke. But it was just funny. I, I When I grabbed Jimmy, I said, Jimmy, you know, this is not a personal thing. This ain't me locking you up. This is your boy, Henry Hill, that rat bastard. And that was that was who locked up Jimmy. But, I mean, that's the way I ran. It was just if I got you right, if it ain't it ain't personal. It's it's only yeah, business, and that's it. Yeah, of course. I knew a, a uh, Bo. There was a guy. He used to give us the PBA cards, and he was a really good guy. And he said, "Look," he said, "You know, Lou, this is my job. That's your job, and that's it." And I understood that. And if he look, if he was told he's got to come after me, 
that's also his job, but he tries to avoid something like that. Well, that was why you, know, he, you don't want to go. Well, yeah. in my case, you know, if you if all of a sudden I, I worked up in East Harlem, Harlem, Bedford-Stuyvesant, I worked mm-hmm. in all the shitholes. But that was one of the reasons I enjoyed to work over there. I didn't think I was going to run into anybody I knew. But then all of a sudden <clears> I ran into Jimmy Burke because of Henry Hill in East New York in the yeah. 7 5. And then the Palm Sunday Massacre, 10 dead, was my last case. But going back to your thing mm-hmm. now, you're you're doing some you're doing something now a new series called Animal Mafia. What is that all about? Yeah, yeah. So I did. So the last series I did for Discovery was uh, it was it was a real big hit. So I said, let me do something else. And uh, the last one I went into, I went all around the world and I locked up in maximum security prisons with the worst people. And and literally, I mean, we got access to the prisons. I locked in with them in El Salvador, in the jungles of El Salvador. I was locked up with the 18th Street Gang. Uh, in Italy, I locked up with the Camorra. You name it, I went there. And the series did phenomenal. Really, really good. I was nominated for the highest documentary award in England, which was really nice. And I said, I want to do something else. So I, I was walking into a used bookstore one day. And I always go to used bookstores because you find out-of-print books there that are gems. And I walked into a used bookstore, and there was this out-of-print animal trafficking book I picked it up. I read it that night. I couldn't put it down. And by the morning, I felt horrible that all these animals are like really being, you know, killed. Whether it's for the horn or the or the or the tusk uh, or the or the bear bile. Bears they like they think the bile has in in eight parts of Asia they think the bile of the bear from the gallbladder has some type of. Uh, uh, Function in medicinal function. In, in, no, they think they're going to get an eruption. They think they're going to get an erection. That, Take a freaking Viagra yeah. and stop killing exactly. the animals. That was, yeah. yeah, that's the horn, the rhino horn. So I pitched it. I, I put together a treatment the next morning. I finished the book by morning. I put together a treatment. I finally went to sleep the next day. And I woke up and I said, let me start pitching this thing. So I went to Discovery. They said, ah, oh, it's a little dark for us. My Discovery series, Bo, to give you an idea how good it did. It did phenomenal. They gave me the ratings throughout the world. But the Americans, it was commissioned out of London. Did you make any US money, Lou? Did you make any money? That's I did. I did that. I did that year. But they don't pay you like when you're starting. Well, now out, you're in, you're a, you're an esteemed uh, author here. You should be getting paid yeah. some real heavy duty cash. You know what? I, be, I, right now, honest. right now, Lou. Animals are really, you know, people care more about animals than they do about human beings. So this is a very good issue, you know, and I know. What it they it do. is a good And they, and then yeah. they, they, they uh, you know, they don't even allow elephants in the freaking circus anymore. So that's been banned. Yeah. Everything's been banned. Animals now have come into the four-point play. I rather, I've never been a hunter. All my friends would deer hunt, and then they would go after lions. I says, you know what? If that freaking deer had a had a thirty odd six shooting back at you, Mister Brave Guy, yeah. I like to see how where your where your balls are gonna be. Because I, you know what? Yeah. I don't like snakes. I could kill snakes. I hate snakes. So I could kill a yeah, snake. Yeah. And I tell you, I watched that uh, Naked and Afraid. I'll eat the freaking snake because I like uh, eel. You like eel color? I do. Yeah, yeah you smoke eel. eel. It's delicious. 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 Yeah. I like yeah, eel avocado hand roll. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, Lou, you know what? You're a very, very interesting guy. So right now, what are you doing right now as far as... Yeah, so the Indian? Animal Mafia, was. we did the first, uh, we did the first uh, uh, pilot show. 
We flew to South Africa. I went back and forth between South Africa and Mozambique. We tracked down the poachers. Mm. We tracked down the, uh, the the fences, the handlers, the smugglers. We did a really good you show. Like, you like being in with, the jungle with those mosquitoes and spiders and snakes? I wouldn't go to Africa uh, if you gave me two first-class tickets in the safari. <laughs> Who the hell? I want to look at animals. I go to the friggin' zoo. <laughs> the Bronx Zoo with the Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> so, I hate so we, did, we did though yeah and uh so that's sort of my new project the other project i'm working on i'm writing my last book was a believe it or not too if you're unless you're stephen king or a big author there's no big money in books my last book bo international bestseller in 20 languages mob rules international bestseller in 20 languages yeah but who's your I, who's you know, your who's your agent who's your agent Who's your agent, Stevie Wonder? You uh, should be I, making big numbers on these friggin' books. I wish, I wish. You got one for me? No, Maybe but I you're gotta, doing all this. Yours. You're doing all this stuff. You got to make potatoes. I mean, how are you gonna eat macaroni on Sundays if you ain't making no money? You'll be putting, you'll be <laughs> putting olive oil and garlic. What do they call that? Aliolio. You'll be eating aliolos without any meatballs. Oh yeah, aliolio. I, I gotta, I gotta ask you. We're, we're, for some uh, for some tips on who you use, I remember I'm still looking for you. I love that Arby's commercial. They, why didn't they bring you? Know, you they back? paid me on a, that Arby's commercial. They were going to use that yeah, Dennis Friends, the actor. So I told the, uh -huh. the I told the advertising company. I said, well, you know what? He's a real actor. Maybe we should use him. I'm a real detective. No, no, but we want you. So I negotiated. I used Alan Grubin firm. That's uh, one of the, uh -huh. the top firms, and. Uh, they negotiated four hundred thousand a year. Wait, wait, you gotta listen. Twelve days of shooting—that's it each year. Oh, they wow. flew me Thanks. all over the world. I was in Alaska in the Bering Sea catching whiting. I was in Hawaii with yeah, Hawaiians, King's bread. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. paid me, and then I only went first class. I used to bring my bring my honey bunny with me, massages. I hit them with bills. Their heads are still <laughs> spinning, but they paid me four hundred thousand yeah, dollars a year. Please. And don't you want to know something? They went up ten percent in their marketing from that the commercials. Now now they, get, say, now they got some black guy on there. Now they got some black guy. We got the beef. You don't even see the guy. Oh, you, yeah, Arby's, we got the beef. How about with uh, Bo? They got to use you, Bo. Yeah, well, you want to know something. Hey, I'm expensive. That's it. Let me let me ask you, too. I used to see you all the time. How come I don't see you on Fox now? Because I ran for mayor against this douchebag, Mayor de Blasio, Big Bird. And then these two kids took it over, the Murdoch sons. And for some reason, they cock-blocked me because I, I was very loyal to uh, Raw Jails. And I wouldn't say negative things against them when he got caught up in all the bull crap. So you want to know something? I'm a very loyal guy. And you want to know, I enjoy uh, doing you Fox. Know how many, 12 years you know, you I did Fox. I was going to say, you know how many issues that come around every week where I'd love to hear you talking about them? Well, you, we, 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 I got Carlo on it. We'll be back. We might be back on. There's some other people that are uh, uh, dealing with us. We might be back, and who knows? All I know is I yeah. love talking the truth. A lot of people don't like me because I tell the truth, and I'm very direct, and people don't like that. Media matters. That that friggin' punk, that Hungarian Soros a penis-licking punk, Soros, George Soros. He has a group called yeah. Media Matters. And what they used to do, they used to key on me all the time. Everything I would say, a little off-cult, off, off they would put it all over. They would attack me, bozer, the racist, bozer. I'm the last person that would ever be a racist. They're, they were full of baloney, and they used to 
come after me every time. I did I Miss the Morning for 34 years. I did Fox for 12 years. And then all of a sudden when Raj Ailes got jammed up there and I wouldn't say something negative against him, I stood by him because I said he helped a lot of people. I know him for years. I put the deal together with I Miss and Fox Business. I mean, look it. I am who I am. If you want to hire... What's that? No, I was going to ask, was that when Greta left? Well, uh, Greta, 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 I had left prior to that when I started running for, okay. when I started running for mayor. And I had stopped doing this show because I was focused on running for mayor in New York City. And then Gretchen Carlson there got, uh, you know, she came with a major lawsuit and they, uh, against, I think it was against O'Reilly. I don't, I don't even know who's on first anymore, but to make a long story short, they didn't, renew my contract and it wasn't about the money i was making a couple hundred thousand a year there but i tell you the truth i enjoyed to do it whenever there would be shootings terrorist attacks or some kind yeah, of an issue stuff. you were great on the cop stuff well great. hold on about chicago six thousand black americans being murdered there and obama didn't do bullshit he didn't do nothing against it i was so outspoken i said well why don't you use the same federal criminal rico against these gangs on the streets of Chicago, like you did against my Italian gumbas. You went after them, you locked all the gumbas up. Why don't you lock up these street punks that are murdering African Americans in our country? And I would say right out, people didn't like it. Yeah. Bo Deedle is Bo yeah. Deedle. I'll say what I feel. But Lou, you're a very interesting guy, and I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. Carlo's a big fan of yours also. And, uh, you know what? Uh, if, if there's any way that people can follow you, tell us what your platforms are. Well, the best real, I'm not big on social media, but if you, if you want to hit me up on an email, uh, my website, through my website, louisferrante.com, you can throw the, put up, there's a contact form there. I speak, I do television. Uh, you know, who knows? I'm looking to, to host a new show, but it's got to be the right one, Bo. Maybe we'll do something together. Yeah. Well, where are you down Florida? Uh, I bounce around. So, I mean, I, I, I was in the Miami area for a little while, the Tampa area. Now I'm near Tampa. Yeah. But I, I bounce around. Too, too friggin' hot down there. Hot and humid. <laughs> Summer well, sucks yeah, down I there. Mean, I, I just got tired of the winters up north. Nah, come on. I, you know I what? Think I call closer. Change of seasons, yeah. beautiful. You know what's beautiful? I hate summer. I hate hot humidity. I like when the, the, the fall comes and the breeze comes in, yeah. the leaves change colors. Then winter, it's cold. You go inside, you put the fire on, and then you escape to Florida sometimes, but then you come back. And then the beautiful spring yeah. erupts, and buds start to occur, and birds start to sing, and life comes back. That, to me, is life. It is the four seasons. Yeah. Do you have a, Do you have an, uh, another home outside the city? Yeah, yeah. I live. I live. Uh, I'm out in the Hamptons. I'm all over the place. I, I don't. I, I don't keep uh, still at one time. I figure if I keep too still, I could get whacked. So I just keep that's moving. The one, that's the one. <laughs> No, nah, nobody. Like let me tell you something. I put away a lot of guys. They got to kill ten people. Palm Sunday Mesca was out over almost two years already. He got out of jail after killing ten people. If he wants to come and get me, if he has balls, let him face me. The only way he'll get me is shoot me in the back of the head. Maybe he'll get me that nah, way. Nobody's coming after you. Nah, I. You know what? It's yeah. all. It's all about. He killed ten people. A son of a bitch. And I'll call him that to his face. He was a very so lucky. So what do you mean kid. the guy? The guy. He got out. The guy. Yeah. 
I think he's running for uh, city council or something in New York, probably. He's running for maybe what? congressman, something, yeah. Are you shitting me? Nope, nope, nope. Well, Lou, thank you, Carlo. Yeah, okay. this is life, okay. baby. Lou, we'll talk okay. again. Carlo, go ahead, All baby. Right. Thank you very good much to, to Lou Ferrante for being okay, here. Carlo. You can follow us on social media. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is at Bo Deedle on Twitter and at The Real Bo Deedle on Instagram. Uh, we have One Tough Podcast t-shirts available for the summer. You can purchase them at merchpump.com slash product slash bye-bye. Uh, we appreciate our fans. You could find the show wherever you get podcasts and also OG Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Email all your questions to onetoughpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll see you next week. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.